Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, well, hey, I'm t- excited to jump back into this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks called Fight Right, where we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God as outlined by the Apostle Paul. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, or maybe you've been out for a few weeks, let me catch you up to speed so that we're all on the same page as we jump into this together. Uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us in this very rich, dense portion of Scripture that it's important that we see the source of our opposition. He says, when you face things in this life like sickness and depravity and destruction and pain and, dare I say, a pandemic, when you face these things, it's important to understand who's behind that opposition. He says in verse 12 of Ephesians 6 that we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies. We don't fight against things that we can see with our eyes or perceive in the natural. Rather, we fight against spiritual principalities and powers in the unseen world, demonic forces that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy everything good that God wants to do in our life. And since we're fighting a spiritual enemy, he tells us we need to put on some spiritual armor. Spiritual battles require spiritual armor. He says, if you want to remain standing at the end of this thing, if you want to come out victorious on the other side, then you must put on the full armor of God. And so we've been taking a look at each one of those articles of armor that Paul begins to unpack for us and talking about how to apply them to our current context and to our lives. And today, we're going to continue on in that journey as we get back to our key scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Here's what he says. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, We've talked about belts, talked about breastplates. We've talked about shoes. Last week, we talked about some shields. Today, we're gonna dive into this next article, the helmet of salvation. And I've been really excited about sharing this particular item with us because I really think what Paul is unpacking for us in this scripture holds with it such current context based on what we're facing. And I think today it's probably gonna mess with us in the best way possible. Uh, Many of you know I have two daughters. I have a nine-year-old named Ellie and I have a seven-year-old named Livy. And I love my daughters. They mean the world to me. I, I love them equally. I think that's what you're supposed to say as a parent. But although I love them equally, There's different things about each of them that I love. I love different aspects of their personality traits and different things they bring to the table, if you will. Uh, And one of the things I love about my youngest daughter, Livy, is her humor. If I was having a rough day today, if I just needed someone to make me laugh, I would find a way to hang out with my youngest daughter. Everything she does is hilarious. And she doesn't even have to try. Don't you hate those people, the people that are just naturally funny and you're like, gosh, I have to try so hard to be funny. She's just naturally funny. She doesn't have to try at all. Everything she thinks about, the things she concocts in her brain are hilarious. Uh, The words that come out of her mouth half the time, I'm just, I'm always on the floor laughing. And as cruel as it might sound, um, her body, her lack of coordination, her, her clumsiness. It's just, it's really fun to watch. It's very entertaining for me. She's the kind of person that every time she dances, she immediately reminds you of a drunken sailor. She's just, she's just hilarious. Uncoordinated is all get out, and it's really fun to watch. 
Um, at, at the beginning of the quarantine, uh, my wife and I, we bought a number of recreational items for our daughters because we didn't want them to be cooped up in the house for weeks on end without being able to go outside. And so we got bikes and scooters and skates and all that stuff. But their favorite were the rollerblades. They absolutely loved the rollerblades. It felt like every single day at the beginning of our quarantine, multiple times a day, they'd be like, can we go out and rollerblade? We just want to rollerblade. And we got a little hill by our house and they'd just go up and down this hill for hours. It was endless entertainment. Now, Ellie is pretty coordinated. Um, she takes after her father. <laughs> um, but she, she was able to, you know, after the first couple of days of using rollerblades, uh, she was, you know, running around the streets and jumping up on curbs and going down hills, and she wasn't falling. She's just really athletic. And, you know, I was an aggressive inline skater back in the 90s, and so I like to take a little bit of credit for that. But uh, my youngest daughter, Livy, yeah, not so much. Kind of a drunken sailor. Uh, she takes after her mom. Not the drunken part, but the uncoordinated uh, kind of clumsier person. I love you, Robin, as you watch this, but we all know that you're just a little bit clumsy. And she, she would fall and she'd run into parked cars and she would run into poles. And so it became evident rather quickly that we needed to buy a number of safety items to make sure that my daughter didn't end up hurting herself too badly while she was rollerblading. And so we got the wrist guards and the elbow pads and the knee pads and the helmet. I mean, she had the full armor of mom when she went out. That was so dumb. The full armor of mom to go out and use her rollerblades. And, you know, she looks like she's really well protected. She's going out there, can barely move, but at least when she falls, she's not hurting herself. Now, when she gets home from rollerblading or using her scooter or riding her bike or anything else she does with her protective gear on, maybe just walking down the street, um, she quickly sheds all of those items in the garage. She'll take off the knee pads and the elbow pads and the wrist guards and the gloves that she wears underneath the wrist guards just in case. But for whatever reason, Libby's taken a particular liking to her helmet. She, she seems to keep her helmet on for, for hours. We'll, we'll come into the house and we'll sit down to eat and she'll still have her helmet on. She'll play Barbies for hours with her helmet on. We'll get into the car and she will still have her helmet on. She just leaves it on for hours on end. And I don't know if it's because, you know, she's hit her head enough times that she just feels a little bit safer when she's got a helmet on. I don't know what the reasoning is, but for whatever reason, she just seems to love to keep her helmet on. And as I was considering preaching this message to you today, I thought of my daughter and my prayer, my encouragement, my hope is that as we conclude today, you'd be a little bit more like Livy. You would live like Livy and you would keep your helmet on because I think a helmet can change everything for us today. When the Apostle Paul begins to dive into this scripture and tell us about this helmet called salvation, um, he would have been referring to a first century Roman helmet known as a galia. And uh, based on the time that the book of Ephesians was written, uh, he would have been talking about this particular helmet, a coolest design of the galia helmet. And uh, you've probably seen this in some movies before, or you know, you've uh, maybe got one in a costume or something like that. But there's a, a number of features in this helmet that I think are worth pointing out. Uh, first and foremost, at the bottom of this helmet, uh, it's lined with leather. There was a cap that was lined with leather so that the warrior could wear it for hours on end without it chafing and hurting him, and it allowed it to be a comfortable piece of, of armor to wear on the battlefield. And then in addition to the leather, there was a, a number of safety items, some features that were built into the helmet. You can see on the back here, uh, there was this neck guard. 
And the net guard ensured that if a soldier was fighting somebody face-to-face on the battlefield and someone tried to take them out from behind and lop off their head with a sword or catch them with a club, that they were protected by this net guard in the back. On the sides of the helmet, there were these cheek guards. And same idea, would keep you from getting hit in the side of the face. But you'll notice that on the cheek guards, they had these little areas cut out for the soldier's ear. And that was because the soldier, although he was wearing this helmet, still needed to be able to hear what his commander was saying. And so they had to leave a space for the ear to be open. In fact, they even built these little eyelet things on the, on the outside that acted as amplifiers so that the commander's orders could be he- heard more easily. And even this lovely decorative feature on the top of the helmet, the mane, was also a safety item. It might just look like a fashion statement, but it wasn't just a fashion statement. It was, in fact, an identifier. Uh, This was not an uncommon helmet for other soldiers to wear from other countries. And so it was important that the Romans were able to identify each other on the battlefield so that you didn't end up taking out your friend while you were fighting against the enemy. And so they would use these manes of horsehair and dye them a certain color to identify rank and file for the people in the Roman military. And honestly, every single one of those things could warrant their own sermon. We could talk about the fact that you're protected from behind by salvation. You, you talk about the fact that, you know, because of salvation, we have the ability to hear the voice of our commander clearly. And we could talk about the fact that salvation identifies us as a member of this army, the army of God. And there's so many great messages we could preach out of that, but we don't have time to preach 17 messages today. We got time for one. And so I'm gonna focus on just the helmet itself, the, the brain bucket, if you will, because ultimately the main purpose of the helmet was to keep the head safe, to keep your brain from being bashed in by the enemy, to keep a sword or anything else the enemy might use against you from making its way into your head. And because of its construction, it was made of this bronze and metal material on the outside, it served its purpose well. It was built of things to reinforce its purpose. And Paul tells us that our helmet It's made of something that will do just the same for us as believers. Our helmet is made of salvation. And its intention, the reason it's constructed of salvation, is because it needs to protect our brain. It needs to protect our minds, our thoughts, if you will. If you're taking notes, feel free to write this down because I think what we're about to discuss really does have the potential to change the way we see our current circumstances. But here we go, ready? The brain's battles require salvation's helmet. The brain's battles require salvation's helmet. In order to understand the full potency of what Paul is bringing to the table here when he calls this helmet salvation, we need to understand what he means by the word salvation. Now, salvation is a term that obviously gets thrown around in church often. And when we use that phrase, probably without realizing it, because most of us don't speak Greek, uh, we are using a Greek word known as sozo. Uh, And that word sozo, it, it means this in the Greek, to save, to protect, to rescue, or to deliver. To save, to protect, to rescue, or to deliver. If someone asks you, have you come to salvation 
That's what they're asking. Have you been saved? Have you been delivered from your sin? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Have, have you been delivered of your past and now you've been saved? That's, that's what they're asking you. Have you been sozoed? Uh, if that same person were to say, I thank God every day for my salvation, same concept. They're saying, I thank God that I've been saved and I've been delivered from my past and that God's not, no longer holding my sin against me. If you were to sit down with a circle of pastors and you were to say, hey, how many salvations have you had in your church this year? First off, they'd probably fabricate the number and blow it up. Uh, but then they would tell you about the people who've lifted their hand and said a prayer and made a decision to follow Jesus and accept his free forgiveness of their sins. They're talking about sozo, to save, protect, rescue, and deliver. And it would, easy, it would be easy to assume that that's exactly what Paul is talking about in this scripture. It would make sense for him to use the word sozo. After all, what a soldier would need on the battlefield is protection and deliverance and rescue, and all those things make sense contextually. But that is not the word that the Apostle Paul uses when he names this helmet salvation. The word that Paul uses in the Greek is the word soterias. Soterias. Come on, go ahead and say it there in your living room. Soterias. Sounds like a Mexican side dish, doesn't it? I'll take some beans and some rice and some soterias. Like, what? what? Soterias. But here's what it means in the Greek. Soterias means a future hope. A future hope. Unlike sozo that is tied to our current circumstance, unlike sozo, which provides this protection for my current problem, provides a rescue for my current situation, deliverance from the midst of the battle I find myself in, soterias has a much farther-reaching definition. It reaches into the future, a future hope, a hope that is not anchored in today's circumstances, but a hope that is anchored in eternity. And, and the Apostle Paul unpacks this even a little bit more in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, where he makes a statement. He says, Let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the hope of our salvation. He says right there, this helmet is the hope of our salvation, the hope of our future, our eternal salvation. Now, there's a lot there. Let me put it in a nice little package so that we can kind of define it and move forward. But Basically, what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 6 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is that we have been given as believers this helmet called salvation that allows us to be clear-headed, clear-minded about what we're experiencing and to begin to see things through this lens of a future hope. Let me say it like this. The helmet of salvation gives us eternal perspective. It allows us to begin to see this life through the filter of eternity. To, to have the helmet on the head is to have heaven on the mind. Let me ask you a question today. How often do you think about eternity? When was the last time you considered heaven? Think about it. Just be honest with yourself for a moment. How often do you think about eternity? How often do you think about the fact that one day we're gonna be sitting around the throne of Jesus, joining in with the choir of angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're gonna finally be able to sing in tune, some of us, for the first time as we worship Jesus. 
without the distractions of this life and the problems of this world, just us and him right there in heaven. How often do you think about the fact that one day as we enter into eternity, we're gonna find ourselves in a place where there's no sickness and no pain, no destruction, no poverty, no lack, no racism, no politicking, just basking in the glory of Jesus. How often do you consider that? Being honest, probably not very. In fact, for many of us, perhaps the last time we thought about eternity was when we made a decision that we wanted to go there. It was that moment in a service or in a conversation where the reality of a heaven and a hell kind of met our, our hearts and we had to make a decision. Are we gonna Are we gonna choose Jesus or are we gonna choose to spend an eternity apart from him? And the reality of eternity motivated us to make the greatest decision of our lives, to say yes to Jesus and to make him Lord. But after that, I wonder how often we consider eternity. A lot of us, eternity just kind of sits in the back seat while we deal with the day-to-day issues of the life we find ourselves living here on earth. And as such, salvation's application kind of gets watered down to our current existence, to the things of this life. We pray prayers like, Jesus, heal my sickness, and Jesus, provide for my needs, and Jesus, thank you that you're my protection, and thank you you're gonna keep us safe, and you're gonna, you're gonna give us all that we need to, to survive. Our, our prayers and our concept of salvation kind of gets boxed in, hemmed in by this earthly existence. And listen, all of those things are good and we should thank God for his provision. We should pray for healing and we should pray for provision. All of those things are are, are incredibly important. But let's not get so tied up in the here and now that we forget heaven in the process. Hey, listen, let me remind every single one of us If you're looking into your screen right now, let me remind you today, this ain't it. This is not the goal. A perfect life where you're provided for and you're healthy in your body and everything is working great, that is not the goal. Heaven is the goal. We are living for something greater than what we're experiencing on this planet. And whether or not Jesus answers our prayers and whether or not he provides for every single one of our needs and whether or not we have everything we need in this life or we are lacking in this life, it doesn't truly matter in light of eternity because we are living for something greater than provision and health and everything good on this planet. We are living for eternity. We must have eternal perspective. Let me go down a rabbit trail for just a second because I think it's important to mention this. I I think a lack of eternal perspective is, is plaguing the church at large. I think a lack of eternal perspective is perhaps the reason that we've become so obsessed with the cross while we don't give much voice to the resurrection of Jesus. Think about it. How often do you hear somebody say, Jesus died on the cross for all your sins, brother? It just kind of flows off the, tr- uh, the tongue, right? We're so used to hearing that phrase. But how often have you heard this? Jesus resurrected from the grave for your eternity. It, it, it took me a second to even say that because it doesn't quite flow off the tongue. It's, it's not a normal conversation piece. We're obsessed with the cross, but so infrequently do we discuss the resurrection 
the, the hope that we have for eternity, the soterias, the future hope of spending uh, all of our eternity with Jesus in heaven. What is that? Why, why have we become so obsessed with forgiveness and a cross while we seem to forget eternity? That wasn't the case for the New Testament church, the, the ones that were our template, the ones that came before us. Take a, take a nice slow read through the New Testament and the apostles and, and, and the epistles, and here's what you'll find. They were obsessed with eternity. The greatest miracle to them was not that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. The greatest miracle to them was the fact that he resurrected from the grave for their eternities. That's all they talked about. The gospel was accompanied with this message of hope and resurrection and the future that we all get to experience with Christ in heaven. They were obsessed with eternity. Even Paul, the, the one we're studying, he was so enamored with eternity that he came to this place where he once said, gosh, to, to, to live is, is Christ, but to die is gain. And I would much rather die because I'd be in heaven with Jesus, but for the sake of all of you jokers, I'm gonna hang out on this earth a little bit longer. He was obsessed with eternity. And I think that if Paul were sitting in this chair today and he was staring into this camera today, he would plead with you, son, daughter, don't forget to put on your helmet. Don't forget the perspective that has been given to the believer in light of eternity. Don't forget this is not it. And, and perhaps if he were sitting here today, he might read to you or dictate to you what he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter four, where Paul says, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now, they're gonna soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And you might say, if Paul was speaking to you today, Paul, come on, really you're gonna call what I'm walking through right now small, trivial, these light and momentary afflictions, as one translation says? You don't know what I'm facing. Don't minimize what I'm walking through. This is not small. This is huge. This thing is, is taking over right now. I, I have no, I've lost all hope. You don't know what it's like. And Paul would probably gently look back at you and he would say, hey, just go ahead and read a few chapters later in chapter 11 of that same book where I begin to explain some of the things that I've walked through. I, I do understand what you're walking through. In fact, five times I was given 39 lashes, which is one shy of the death sentence. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned and they almost killed me. And honestly, I've been whipped more times than I can count. Add into that shipwreck and imprisonment and all the stuff I've experienced, yeah, I've got an idea of what you're walking through right now. Yet I'm offering you something. I'm offering you perspective in the midst of it. What Paul is trying to tell us in Ephesians chapter six and in 1 Thessalonians chapter five what he's trying to tell us here in 2 Corinthians chapter four is that there is a perspective that has been gifted to each and every one of us where we can begin to see our lives in light of eternity, whether it's the battle we're facing, the problem that we're trying to overcome, even in the midst of suffering, that we can be given eternal 
eyes that we can cling to a future hope of salvation regardless of what happens here on this planet. And ultimately what Paul is saying is if we put this helmet on, we're gonna be given something that we can't see without it. We're gonna see beyond the battle. There's gonna be something inside of us that says, I can get through this if it means I get that. I can get through what I'm walking through if it means I'm gonna to get to eternity. I think uh, Robin and I have shared a number of times that we had a, a difficult time getting pregnant at first. And well, she had a difficult time. I can't get pregnant, but you know what I mean. But uh, we prayed for years for God to give us a child. And after years of prayer and doctor's visits and trying to figure the whole thing out, finally God answered our prayers. And uh, we gave birth to our first daughter, Ellie, in 2010. And when we were deciding how we were going to deliver our child, uh, we decided on a home birth. And uh, when I say we decided on a home birth, it's my wife and she decided on a home birth. And my only participation in the process was to kind of stand in the corner and provide moral support. And the occasional like, Ugh, ah, that that's pretty much what I did. Uh, but she decided she wanted to have a home birth. No doctors, no medications, just a hippie midwife lathered up in some essential oils and a doula on the side and me in the corner puking my guts out. But uh, it, it, was, it was an absolutely incredible experience. And I, I remember watching my wife in the midst of this process and thinking, you are so strong. There's no way I could endure what you are enduring right now. Those of you who know Robin, you know that, I mean, she's physically very strong. She posted a video of herself doing some pull-ups this last week on Instagram. She's got some muscles. The girl can take some pain. But man, I don't think there's anything on the planet like childbirth. There is no pain like that. I've never seen anything like that in my life. There's a reason we've got Mother's Day. Mom, you deserve it. Mothers, you deserve it. Father's Day is a joke compared to what you guys have endured in the process. But I remember watching her and just thinking, how are you doing this? And, and talking with her afterwards and conversations we've had since, she's told me that on a number of occasions, the, the motivation for her in the midst of, of childbirth was this thought. At the end of this pain, at the end of this contraction, at the end of this suffering, I'm going to get to hold this baby girl. Well, we didn't know it was a girl, but this baby that we've been praying for for years. It was a future hope that was able to carry her through her current suffering. And when it was all said and done, there she was holding this beautiful baby. Well, she became beautiful. Like all newborns, she looked like an alien at first, but she, she was holding this promise in her arms, the promise that, that Jesus had made to us, and it was all worth it. Perhaps that's what the Apostle Paul means when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our present troubles, they're small. They won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Christian, listen to me today. It's time to put your helmet on. It's time to see things through the lens of eternity. It's time to stop waiting with bated breath for the government or a medical system to be your salvation, Jesus is your salvation. You have already been saved and you have a future hope to cling to. And when we have that perspective, we can endure anything this life throws at us. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, 
and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.